Great, thank you. So we are continuing from where we left off. And we saw last week, didn't we, that that shocking pattern of what it means uh, to follow Jesus, the path that Jesus will walk and the path that we, as his followers, will walk. So it's there on uh, page 1012, if you've closed it, chapter 8, verse 34. It says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. And we saw last week that to take up one's cross is not a trivial inconvenience. It's uh, choosing to give up everything, even to the point of suffering and death, for the sake of Jesus. Jesus took up his cross for us by dying in our place to take away the anger of God at our rebellion. And he commands us to take up our cross, deny ourselves and follow him. But I wonder what your response was if you were with us last week. It raises a lot of questions, doesn't it? Is it worth it? What will it look like? Is it even possible? Well, hang on to those questions because Mark expects that we'll have them. He answers them across the bigger section of chapters 8 to 10. The diagram on the handout, it's, it's a bit of a frighteningly complicated looking diagram actually, isn't it? But um, that will help you if you want to read through these chapters at home just to make sense of how it all fits together as Mark answers these questions. But our passage today is all about glory later, that top right hand box on your diagram. See, Mark has carefully put this episode here to give us confidence that glory later is a reality. And this is really important because it answers that question, is it worth it? Well, Mark's answer is a resounding yes, because of this glimpse of the glory of the Son of Man. So it's here firstly to give us confidence, confidence to follow this path because we see proof of where it leads, future glory. And secondly, it comes with a call, a call to listen. So first, confidence. Let me read again from chapter 8, verse 38. If anyone is ashamed of me and and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory and with the holy angels. And he said to them, truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. Now, this is an extraordinary episode, isn't it? Jesus goes up a mountain with three of his disciples and is utterly, spectacularly, supernaturally transformed. He is amazing in the true sense of the word. Why? What does it mean? Well, it's a spectacular display from Jesus of power and glory, isn't it? Dazzling white has all kinds of connotations of purity, of holiness, of wisdom, of power as we saw in that reading from Daniel chapter 7. The clothing of God, who's referred to as the Ancient of Days, is is white as snow, his hair is like wool, and his throne were fiery flames. It's an awesome picture of God that Daniel saw. 
And we also heard the term son of man in that reading in Daniel, where God, the ancient of days, gives to the son of man dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is everlasting and his kingdom will never be destroyed. So this is who the son of man is. This is the title Jesus loves to use about himself, a ruler with ultimate authority and power. And here in our passage in Mark, the Son of Man is revealed with supernaturally dazzling clothes. Just after saying to his disciples that he will one day return with the glory of his Father. So what we have here is like a glimpse ahead of time. It's like a dress rehearsal for a performance where everything looks exactly as it will on opening night. Or a teaser trailer for an upcoming film. It's a glimpse of what is to come. So let's imagine the scene for a moment. Peter, James and John, they know Jesus. He's their friend. They know what he looks like. So we're going to do a social experiment now. Turn to your neighbour and look at them. Give them a good hard stare if that's not too awkward. If it is too awkward, just imagine somebody that you know well and you know what they look like. (laughs) Well, now imagine them transfigured the way Jesus is here totally transformed and remember this is not persil whiter than whites washing powder this is dazzling amazing blinding heavenly brightness how would you feel if your friend appeared to you like this and now remember what jesus said previously that he would suffer and be killed and three days later rise again this is brilliantly timed it's brilliantly chosen Because Jesus is treating us to a glimpse of this future power and glory. It's awesome. It's also quite scary. I think I sympathise with Peter a bit at this moment. He offers to throw up a tent. He doesn't really know what he's saying. He's like a deer in the headlights. Because he's seeing Jesus, his friend, who he knows, as he has never seen him before. In fact, he's never seen anything like him. And so our first big takeaway from this passage is confidence. Confidence that Jesus will return in glory because we're given a glimpse of his glory ahead of time. This is a guarantee of what Jesus says in 8 verse 28, that he will come in his father's glory with the holy angels. And so if we have confidence in the return of Jesus There are many ways that this might impact us, but there's one application that particularly comes from this passage, and it's this. We know it is worth losing our lives now, because future glory is secure. We know it is worth losing our lives now, because future glory is secure. Let me just explain. Last week we saw that serving Jesus is costly. Being a Christian is often hard, and can often bring shame and suffering in this life. And Jesus explained this to his disciples. And the next thing Mark records for us is this little picture of future glory, so that we can know that it is a reality. It's not a pipe dream. So through suffering, Jesus would have us remember this glimpse of his future glory, so that we remember we can trust him. He demonstrates his trustworthiness, is reliable we can have confidence 
So he does this to show us, or rather to persuade us, that being his follower is worth it. The path that Jesus outlined last week does lead to glory. So the question for us is, do we have confidence in Jesus' return? Do we trust him enough to make costly decisions now? Do we trust him enough to lay down our lives for his sake, knowing that he will raise us from the dead also? Because we follow Jesus' path, so Jesus dies and is raised. He demonstrates his resurrection glory ahead of time, so we can be sure that he will raise us also. That confident, eager expectation of Jesus' return is so liberating because it allows us to make decisions now for Jesus' sake. It will help us to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. You see, the one who calls us to follow him through suffering has given us a glimpse of the future. He's shown us where this path leads so we can have confidence. And secondly, the call. Now, there are a few things in this passage that serve as a sort of signal that what is happening here is big news. So imagine some of the sorts of big announcements that we sometimes make. Things like, she said, yes, it's a boy. I got the job. These kinds of things. And there are things that we do um, that communicate that this news that we have is big news. It's exciting. Um, in the past, maybe we made them at big family gatherings. I think now they'd probably just go up on Facebook. But you know when somebody makes this kind of announcement that it means something to them. It's big news. Well, what does God do when he has something particularly important to say? How does God communicate big news? Well, twice in the Old Testament, when God speaks audibly to people, it happens up mountains. So God speaks directly to Moses at Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus and again to Elijah in 1 Kings. I think you've got references on your sheet. And those are both big moments in Israel's history. He speaks to Moses after the rescue from Egypt, the Exodus. It's the foundation of the nation of Israel. And he speaks to Elijah to announce the decline of Israel. So in other words, God has a history of declaring momentous things to important people up mountains. And here we are again, up a mountain with Moses and Elijah. And for the second and final time in Mark's Gospel, God the Father speaks audibly from heaven. So what does he say? I'll read from verse 7. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud, This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. This is my son. God said this before in chapter 1, that the Son of God is not just saying that Jesus is divine. It's actually a, a detailed, specific job description. He's saying Jesus is the King, the Messiah. Listen to him. Listen to him right after Jesus has just said something very shocking about his own death, something that Peter found really difficult to hear. And we said that last week, didn't we? Peter couldn't believe that the Messiah would suffer. And so at this moment, when perhaps Peter's confidence in Jesus as the Messiah 
is undermined, God reaffirms, this is my son. This is the Messiah. Listen to what he says. Listen to what he just said. Don't ignore or reject what he says, even if it shocks you, Peter. This is my son. This is the Messiah. Listen to him. So who are the people that we listen to? Perhaps your boss, your friends, your family. Think about the voices that we listen to. And then think, why is it that we listen to them? I think we listen to them because we think that their voices matter. Both because they have perhaps some authority or because they have insight into a particular situation. So you don't, I take it, if you have children, listen to them about financial advice, for example. But why should we listen to Jesus? Well, firstly, yes, because he's the son of God, he's the Messiah, and he has authority over everything. We should listen to him. But he's just asked us to do something very radical. It looks quite foolish, doesn't it? He's asked us to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. Who is he to ask us to do this? I get that he's powerful and that he's the Messiah, that he's the king. But why should we listen to him about this? Well, it's because he suffers and dies first. He knows what it's like because he suffered and died first for our sake. And then he was raised and he's given us a glimpse of future glory. So we can trust him on this very issue, can't we? He is the one whose voice counts. He has proved that this path works. He suffers now and is raised in glory. We can trust him when it comes to this. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. So as we apply this passage, it demands a change in our thinking about Jesus. As a thought experiment, when I say the word Jesus, what is it that comes to mind? Perhaps the baby Jesus in the manger. Perhaps him washing his disciples' feet. Perhaps his death on the cross. And these things are true, aren't they? But I find myself often thinking exclusively about those things. And not of what we've seen of Jesus this morning. And so this passage has particularly helped me over this last week. I've been on Cambridge University Mission Week and it's really helped me to, rem- uh, to remember that this is the powerful Jesus that I serve. This is the king. This is the way that he will appear. And also when following Jesus is hard, well, this is the king you serve. The one who suffered first for our sake and who was raised in glory. We can trust him as we live for him. So when we're unsure of how we ought to live lives in this world, this is the Jesus that we listen to. When we aren't sure if we can trust him for this future glory, well, this is the Jesus that we see. Listen to him. So you'll see on the handout, I've written a few questions at the bottom just to help us chew over these things uh, together over coffee or perhaps over uh, the church lunch. And these aren't to limit our conversations in any way. They're just a helpful um, start, hopefully, in our, in our thinking together about these things. But as we close, please allow me to lead us in prayer. 
Father, thank you for revealing to us this glimpse of the Lord Jesus, his power, his authority and his glory. And we ask that you would help us to know this Jesus more and more, that we may love him and serve him and follow him. And we pray in his name. Amen. Thank you very much indeed, Chris. Why don't we just turn to a person beside us just for two minutes and perhaps just ask them one of those questions uh, at the bottom of the sheets uh, for reflection. Just two minutes. Have a chat with the person beside you.